Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Decades ago, I was the best man for my buddy, Charlie, and was in charge of driving the bridal car from the church to the reception. The happy couple were in the back seat, and next to me up front was the bride's sister-in-law. When I started the car, Welcome to the Jungle from Guns N' Roses started playing on the radio, and the sister-in-law freaked out. What is this garbage? She screamed, turn it off! I looked at Charlie, he looked at me, and then he just shrugged. No sense in making waves. So I switched to a pop station. But the sister-in-law's violent reaction to the gunners stayed with me. Then, not long ago, I was in a car with a friend when Rage Against the Machine's Bulls on Parade came on the radio. I instinctively turned it up. I mean, why not? It's an awesome song. But my friend shrieked, What is this? Bleep, she said. It's awful. You can't possibly like this. Now, I was slightly taken aback. We go back a couple of decades, and she came from an alt-rock radio background, too. Her life used to be filled with this kind of music. How could she not like Rage Against the Machine? I don't know, she said. Maybe I'm just getting old. I prefer softer stuff these days. And there it was again, an example of how someone's musical tastes evolve with age. It's just something that happens with most people. Most take that as a given. But not me, though which is something that's always fascinated me. There has to be some kind of science behind why we listen to different types and styles of music as we go through life and why things change. So I tracked down this science and I have some answers. And we're going to call this episode, What a Drag It Is Getting Old Musically. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. The Ramones covering the Tom Waits song, I Don't Want to Grow Up, back in 1996. Now, I get it. Me too. Adulting is hard. But there's no fighting it. We all age, and as we get older, many of us, well, the majority of us, in fact, find that our tastes in music change and evolve. This isn't weird or any kind of moral or aesthetic or creative shortcoming. It's really just part of the circle of life. And it comes with some pretty fascinating studies. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. And what I would like to do on this episode is explore how our relationships with music change over the years and the decades. We're going to go deep into the psychology and demographics of our musical tastes. And I'm going to bet that a lot of this will sound pretty familiar, whether you want to believe it or not. However, there will be no judgment. This is just how things are. And by the end of this show, you'll hopefully understand why. The first thing we need to accept is that every generation has the right to believe that the music of their youth is the greatest music of all time. 
And it has been this way since ancient times when people like Socrates wrote things like this back around 400 BCE, no doubt annoyed by the music of young people. I will quote Socrates. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. All right, then we have Plato. He wrote this. Forms and rhythms in music are never altered without producing changes in the entire fabric of society. It is here that we must be so careful, since these new forms creep in imperceptibly in the form of seemingly harmless diversion. But, little by little, this mischief becomes more and more familiar and spreads into our manners and pursuits. Then, with gathering force, it invades men's dealings with one another and goes on to attack the laws and the Constitution with reckless impudence until it ends by overthrowing the whole structure of public and private life. He was talking about music. And this is the kind of music he was talking about. Plato hated slow music because he thought it promoted laziness and sloth. He hated fast music because it ruined any attempt at, quote, sober contemplation. These attitudes of elders towards music of the young only accelerated in the late 19th and early 20th century. Church hymns were fine. Classical music was uplifting and sophisticated. But folk songs, well, they were, they were vulgar. Show tunes with their bouncy melodies were sure to give people heart attacks. When jazz started coming out of New Orleans around 1900, it was vile and evil, an affront to proper music. And it was made largely by African Americans, which compounded the problem. The elder said, look, if you want exciting music, there are military marches, good disciplined music for marching up and down the square. As jazz spread, there was a backlash. The answer to this cacophony was ballroom dancing, especially waltzes. When the big bands faded in the 1940s, the young gravitated towards R&B, the blues, country, western, and bebop, sneering at the old, outdated music of the 20s and 30s. And when rock and roll came along, that opened up huge generation gaps, many of them. Here's a 2023 quote from Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. Don't get me going on modern-day music. Push-button drums and everything is synthesized. Digital recording is a one-way toilet. This is a guy who played guitar behind Mick Jagger as he's saying, man, what a drag it is getting old. In other words, says Keith, the more music changed, the more the attitudes of both the young and the old stayed the same. But why? Well, first of all, in general, no young person wants to be like their parents, at least not at first. Second, music is very important to our personal and emotional development. My long-held theory is that there's a sweet spot for all of us when it comes to music. It runs roughly from the time you enter high school until sometime in your early 20s when you have to deal with the real world. That's when we have all kinds of time to devote to the pursuit of music, listening to it, learning to play an instrument, going to shows. 
They are our musical coming-of-age years. There's a second component to this, too. During those years, we're growing as human beings, trying to figure out our place in the universe. We're very malleable, confused, curious, and we need assistance. So we use music to figure out who we are intellectually and emotionally. We use it to create our identity. Once we get a handle on that, we then use this music to project our identity to the rest of the world. We tell anyone who will listen that this is our favorite music and these are our favorite artists and therefore that is who we are. This is called using music as an identity marker. We might adopt specific fashion trends associated with that music. Punk, metal, goth, so on. We form friendships with like-minded music fans. They become our tribes, or as researchers call them, our social constructs. We're sucked into all kinds of rat holes adjacent to our favorite music scene. Politics, social issues, creative lanes, areas of sexuality. There's also a neurological angle to this. By adolescence, our brains have developed to where we can finally process everything that we're hearing. Then you add in all the strong emotions that we have in puberty. The results are strong and lasting bonds related to memory, emotion, and identity, and they're all wrapped up in music. It is not an overstatement to say that our love of music as young people influences who we become and who we are for the rest of our lives, and it continues today. It happened with boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, and now Gen Z, the people born between the late 1990s and the early 2010s. Studies show that they are streaming music every single day, and they average somewhere around four and a half hours of music listening every single day. That's more than Gen Y, Gen X, and the boomers. Those generations used to be in music just as much, but not anymore because, um, well, you know, life. Many of us are bathed in music and music culture between the ages of, well, let's say 14 and 24. We are immersed in music. The songs we listen to then sets our musical taste for the rest of our life. But once we reach our mid-20s, the real world starts to intrude. Jobs and careers, families, mortgages, car payments. You know, the serious and unavoidable adult stuff that gets in the way of being the music fan you once were. You just don't have the time or the money or the inclination to go to shows, or to scour the scenes for new songs and new bands. And a funny thing starts to creep into your mind. You know, new music isn't as good as it was when I was young. Let's go a little deeper into that. Spotify has been a great source of data. By looking at listener habits, we've been able to glean more information than ever about our collective musical tastes. Most of our musical lives begin with pop music. It's easily digestible with singable melodies and fun beats. The top 40 becomes our life, or if not the top 40, the most prevalent songs that we hear in our immediate environment. The New York Times did an analysis of Spotify data and found the following. First, for men. The most important period for forming musical taste is between the ages of 13 and 16. On average, men were 14 when their all-time favorite song was released. It's a little different for women. Their most impressionable years for music are between 11 and 14. Their favorite song probably came out when they were 13. The Times gives two examples. Radiohead released Creep in 1993. In their analysis, 
That was the 164th most popular song for 38-year-old men. So that means the song came out when they were 14. But if you look for creep in people 10 years older or 10 years younger, it doesn't show up. Then there's this song from The Cure. It was released in 1987. It was massively popular in this analysis with 41-year-old women. Doing the math, they were 11 when it came out. This seems to point to childhood, or at least preteen musical influences, are stronger with women than they are with men. Feel free to discuss. Let's explore why young people are more open to music, including and especially unfamiliar music. Academics call this open eridness. In 2013, there was a study of 250,000 people about changing musical behaviors. It found that 20% of our waking time during adolescence was devoted to music. That dropped to 13% in adulthood. Yes, we're more busy as adults, but they also looked at things in terms of psychosocial maturation. In other words, as adults, we know who we are, and we no longer need to rely on something external like music. To help figure that out. This is why our musical tastes evolved so quickly through to age 24. In fact, our desire for musical discovery and preference for new music is at its all-time peak when we are 23 for women and 24 for men. But by the time we're in our mid-30s, the social scientists say that our tastes have matured. This relates to one of the five personality traits that we all have an openness to experience. In other words, we'll try anything, at least when we're young. As we age, though, we become more discerning. We start by aging out of our top 40 years in our teens as we start looking for music that is cooler, more substantial, more meaningful, more complex, and more cool. Another thing they discovered involves how our hearing changes as we get older. They call this hearing acuity. We can, over time, acquire a lower tolerance for loud sounds and audio with high frequencies. So you can see why that would be an issue. This means there's also a chance that your taste in music will get milder as you get older. Volume and thumping beats with high BPMs stops being a thing for you. Life itself is now getting you stressed out enough that you don't need high volume, high energy music all the time. You don't need that adrenaline rush because you're already adrenalized with stress and cortisol. In fact, that kind of music may become more irritating. This doesn't mean you will stop loving the high-volume, high-energy music of your youth. That will be forever the greatest music of all time, right? But as for new music, not so much. Again, there is nothing weird about any of this. Even though you've always told yourself that you will never get old and never get uncool with music and always be down with the kids and whatever they're listening to, Science says there are certain realities that we may all have to face. So, when does our musical taste officially become old? More science coming up next. This is a program filled with dangerous truths, and I'll let The Simpsons reset things for us. You make me feel like dancing! I want to dance the night away! What the hell are you two doing? 
It's called rocking out. You wouldn't understand, Dad. You're not with it. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. No way, man. We're going to keep on rocking forever. 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 Bad news. If you're like most of the population, and yes, I am generalizing a lot on this episode, we will all end up like Homer in some way. We'll believe that rock attained perfection in insert year here. But when? Well, let's ask science. And here's my personal experience. I was in the gym, and in the middle of my workout, some god-awful mumbly mid-tempo auto-tune song came on. To me, it sounded like bad poetry over an overly complicated and poorly constructed beat. There was no chorus. There was nothing sing-alongable. There was little to the arrangement. It meandered on and on and on for about four minutes before something less terrible came on. But during those four minutes, I had both an emotional and physical reaction. How could anybody think that this was good music? And if the kids are listening to this stuff today, there's something wrong with them. Then I realized something. Abe Simpson's prophecy had once again come true. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest, a lot of contemporary music leaves me cold because I think it's just bad. I'm not immune to that cycle of life thing that I mentioned earlier. And I listen to and analyze and write about music for a living. Which brings me to John S. Dwight, a composer of hymns in the 19th century. He wrote this about the new music of his day. Such tunes, although whistled and sung by everybody, are erroneously supposed to have taken a deep hold of the popular mind. But they are hummed and whistled without musical emotion. They persevere and haunt the morbidly sensitive nerves of deeply musical persons so that they too hum and whistle them voluntarily, hating them, even while they hum them. Such a melody breaks out every now and then like a morbid irritation of the skin. Look, I, I still love plenty of music that's being made today. It's just that with each passing year... Science says I'm less likely to understand a larger subset of it. And if you're nodding in agreement, listen to this. There have been plenty of studies on how and why our tastes in music change as we get older. Which brings me to some 2023 research of American Spotify and Amazon Echo users. It's quite enlightening. It found that by the time we turned 33, we start to not only drift away from new music, the new music of the day, but we find it to be a racket, a cacophony, noise. It's the onset of a type of musical paralysis. If you have kids and are exposed to their music, which is probably a lot of contemporary pop on repeat, that threshold, that time that we start to get annoyed, drops to the age of 27. But we still have a thirst for something new, or at least new to us. So what do many of us do? we go back to those coming-of-age years between 14 and 24 and start exploring songs, albums, and artists that we missed the first time around. Maybe it was stuff that was a little too radical and too different for us back then, or because we were absorbing so much so fast, this is stuff that fell through the cracks. For example, let's say that you were 14 when grunge hit in late 1991. You sucked up all the Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden that you could. From there, you moved to Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the more you listened, the deeper you went. Pixies, Ministry, Tool, Nine Inch Nails, Jane's Addiction. 
There was Manchester and Britpop and Third Wave Ska and so on. The 90s were like that. Now let's fast forward to today. If it's 2023, you're in your mid-40s. You still love discovering music, but the current stuff doesn't hold your attention. What do you do? Well, you go back to the 90s for the stuff that was adjacent to all the acts I just mentioned, but went unnoticed by you at the time. This is material that has all the power and energy and appeal that you remember from that era. And even though it's decades old, it is new to you. So isn't that like being 14 again and finding that next great band? Yes, it is. Here's an act from the early 1990s that you may have missed. Let's see if this starts you down a new-to-you path. There was a Scottish band called Eugenius that Kurt Cobain loved so much that he invited them to open for Nirvana on their 1991 European tour. Kurt's endorsement of the band got them a major label deal with Atlantic Records, which resulted in two very well-reviewed albums. One was called Umalama in 1992 and Mary Queen of Scots in 1994. But after a little bit of alt-rock radio airplay, Eugenius just disappeared. Too bad, because they were really quite good. If you remember Eugenius, good for you. You must have been really deep into the alt-rock scene back then and have a very good memory. But if you don't, then I'm talking to you. If you're in your mid-40s, loved grunge as a teenager, want to hear something new to you, and you've never heard of Eugenius, try this. It's a 1993 single called Easter Bunny, and Kurt Cobain loved it. Now, I think you can see why Kurt Cobain liked Eugenius so much. And for you mid-40s folk, there's a lot more from the 90s still to be discovered. You just have to make time to do some research. Bands like um, Lush, Young Gods, Ocean Blue, Curve, Material Issue, Rhymes with Orange, Apotheosis. And, and you know something? I think there's a living to be made putting together playlists of lost music organized by year for people beyond the age of 27 looking for music that they missed when they were young. Note to self on that one. I should point out another study that might ring true, even though it does sound pretty cliched. Around the age of 42, many of us enter existential mid-age crises when it comes to music. We wake up one day and say to ourselves, wait, I'm not old. I'm still down with the kids. I'm just as cool when it comes to new music as they are. So for the next 12 months, and again, I'm speaking generally, not to everybody, but for the next 12 to 18 months, we throw ourselves back into the music world, trying to recapture the emotional glory of the music discovery we had during those coming-of-age years two decades previous. But by age 44, most of us say, ah, screw it, this new stuff sucks. And what do we do? We go back to our comfort food music, the music of our youth. This is part of what's being called the death of coolness spiral. You can actually graph our musical tastes. Let me see if I can describe this spiral to you. It's a circular graph with a line that spirals out from the center, plotting our age against affinity for current music. The older we get, the further our tastes deviate from current music. And the graph shows a slight wobble between 42 and a half and late age 43 before it smooths out again. Again, total generalization may not apply to you, but it's what the social scientists have discovered. And uh, 
I'm really sorry about that. Here's another thing that happens as you get older when it comes to music, and it's totally unavoidable. You become an experienced and knowledgeable consumer of music. When you're young, everything is new and interesting. But as you get older, you start to notice cycles and trends. The sounds you hear today become rather familiar, or at least you have a sense of deja vu. Let's say you stumble on a band like Beauty School Dropout. Good group. But don't they sound a lot like Blink-182? And wasn't Blink sound descended from Green Day? And isn't there a lot of Ramones in the Green Day sound? And what were the Ramones but 60s pop songs played loud and fast? Your musical knowledge can make things very annoying because it may seem that history is on repeat. Everything old becomes new again, and current music seems like it's just recycled and rehashed stuff from the past. How many times have you said, hey, that new song by blank sounds a lot like the song by blank from back in the day? Certainly happened a lot to boomers and Gen Xers when they first heard Greta Van Fleet in 2017. The kids thought they were new and fresh. But God, didn't Led Zeppelin sound like this in 1971? Here's what you have to remember about bands like Greta Van Fleet. First, there are always going to be styles of music that are independently rediscovered over and over and over again by subsequent generations. Second, today's young musicians have the entirety of the world's music at their fingertips through streaming platforms. And third, many of them have parents who were music junkies when they were young, and they were only too happy to share their record collections with the kids. Look, if you're 17 and you discover the power of Led Zeppelin and it really speaks to you, aren't you going to follow in those footsteps, at least at first? Look, musicians are always influenced by those who came before them. So what's wrong with a bunch of young kids picking up on the sounds of an older band, even one that was around 50 years ago? Ponder that for a moment. And when we come back, we'll look at a few more things about our evolving taste of music when it comes to aging. We have been exploring why your grandparents still like Elvis, why your dad is into Bon Jovi, and why you still love bands that you discovered when you were 14. It's the whole cycle of life thing when it comes to our evolving tastes in music. And now it's time to discuss nostalgia. Broadly defined, nostalgia is being sentimental about the past. It's a psychic happy place. The word first came into use in the 16th century, by a medical student observing how Swiss mercenaries became anxious after spending months fighting away from home. He thought it was a form of melancholy, almost a type of mental illness. Today, though, nostalgia is just a pining for the good old days, whatever that means to you. As we've seen, the good old days for music go back to when you were 14 or so and move forward from there. Now, there is some wiggle room there. Other studies have shown that the nostalgic sweet spot is at age 17. Others say that it's age 19. But we really don't have to be that specific, other than to say it falls somewhere during those all-important coming-of-age musically years, mid-teens to late adolescence and early adulthood. And this nostalgia trend tends to be very stable in all of us over many years. Nostalgia can be a very, very powerful thing. Marketers know this. The music industry knows this. And promoters know this. 
This is why so many legacy bands, let's call any act that was big before 2000 legacy or heritage, it's why they're still with us. That's why they're still able to fill arenas. Boomers, Gen Xers, and increasing numbers of Gen Y are only too happy to pay whatever it costs to relive their youth by seeing a band that they used to mosh to when they were 16. This explains why festival headliners are getting older. The average age of a lead singer or solo artist at a major festival is now at least 50 and is quickly moving higher. And if we take acts like Ed Sheeran, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift out of the equation, the vast majority of the all-time top-grossing tours have been acts with an average age of 45 and above. Elton John, U2, Coldplay, Guns N' Roses, Rolling Stones, Roger Waters, Metallica, Madonna, Springsteen, you get the idea. And if Oasis were ever to get back together, the resulting tour receipts would be mega. Now comes another difficult question. Is it possible that current music really isn't all that good when compared to what was on offer, say, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago? Well, the answer is highly subjective and can also be very technical. I can try to distill thousands of arguments down to just a couple of concepts. When old music was new, there was nothing like it. Rock was still young. It was still evolving, both creatively and technically. And you can only be first. You can only be new once. The Beatles are still popular because they got to so many great melodies and arrangements before anyone else did. Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen were the first to do things with an electric guitar that no one else had. Bands like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin got to so many of the great guitar riffs first and thus have claimed them for all time. The sounds from effects pedals, Marshall stacks, synthesizers, and drum machines were once new, but are now part of the standard arsenal of musical tools. And let's face it, there hasn't been a revolution in the sound of rock in forever. Meanwhile, hip-hop, which was incredibly game-changing, has also hit something of a wall. A generation gap has formed in hip-hop too, with old-schoolers and gangster rap fans pitted against the Drakes and Chris Browns of today. There were only 12 notes in the Western musical scale, and there are only so many to put those notes together in an aesthetically pleasing manner. There are a finite number of chord changes, and with this current era of popular music, which dates back to the birth of rock and roll in the early 1950s, it's approaching the age of 70, and there's bound to be repetition. And dare I say it, I hate to, stagnation? Others will point to the ease with which music can be created today. Instruments like Ableton Live, beats and stems included with programs like GarageBand, the team method of songwriting known as top lines and beats that's so prevalent today, the ability to buy ready-made beats online for a few bucks, and once you create a song, it costs nothing to upload it to Spotify and make it available to the entire planet. So maybe, maybe yeah. If you remember the days of real musical instruments that took years to master and the limited amount of music made available by the record industry, radio, record stores, music magazines, and video channels, you might think that the kids have it all too easy these days when it comes to making music, which, however, is a discussion for another time, but that would be a good one. Here's what I can tell you. Study after study 
shows that once you get into music as a kid, you're into music for a lifetime. Now, we may engage less and less in new music as we get older, but that doesn't mean that music falls out of our lives. The music you're into will change to meet your psychological and social needs. Your relationship with music will evolve, but you will never be able to do without music. For example, you may still enjoy discovering new music, but your tastes may mellow. Instead of Nine Inch Nails all the time, you might find yourself gravitating towards Fleet Foxes. We may start trying jazz or classical music as we seek complexity, challenge, and sophistication. Instead of using music to form our identity, we use it in our close, intimate relationships. We eventually stop choosing music in hopes that our tastes will gain us acceptance with others and start listening to music strictly for ourselves. We seek out material that is positive and relaxing on some deeply personal level. Bottom line, embrace the cycle of life when it comes to what you want to listen to. Listen to what gives you joy. Respect all music and listen to what you want. Hey, what, what, what other choice do we have? I hope I haven't got you too down about music and age and everything that goes along with it. Again, no judgment anywhere in this program. This is a life cycle that extends back literally thousands and thousands of years. Maybe you can use this information for a little self-reflection as a way to help understand what's going on with your relationship to music. Above all, I'll repeat this, every generation has a right to believe that the music of their youth is the greatest music of all time. No one is immune from that. No one. If you want more ongoing history, there are hundreds of podcasts available for immediate download wherever you get your podcasts. They're all free, too. Let me know what you think through alan at alancross.ca. There's my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's always being updated with music news and information, as well as recommendations for new music I think you might like, no matter how old you are. We can connect through Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. And don't forget about my other podcast, Uncharted, Crime and Mayhem in the Music Industry. If you like true crime and you like the idea of it intersecting with music, here you go. Until next time, just remember the immortal words of Abe Simpson. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. To you. To you. To you. To you. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross.